This week on Intrigued, Full Effect. For so long, and I love her so much, and we've missed a whole lifetime of memories, and at least we could maybe get some more memories before while we can. I'm Shandrea Thomas, and welcome to episode 22. In this podcast, I talk about curious cases, disappearances, and other stuff. And today I'm talking about the curious case and disappearance of 20-year-old Elizabeth Palmer from Salem, Virginia. This is the oldest case that I've covered so far in my podcast. It dates all the way back to 1974. The family has been waiting for answers for over 45 years, and they believe that Elizabeth may have been pulled into a cult, possibly Children of God or Jonestown. The family was also recently able to finally get an official police report filed with the Virginia State Police on the case. I spoke to six different family members via Skype, and that's also a first. There were a lot of people on that call. I was also intrigued by the mystery of it all, including her travel to Mexico and her desire to go to South Africa to be a missionary. I spoke to Elizabeth's sister, Martha, her nieces, Tracy, Christy, and Sarah, and cousins, Mandy and Pam. This is what happened. So tell me, as far as Elizabeth goes, who was the last person to see her and what happened? That would be me. Uh, She asked for me to take her to the airport to go on the plane that morning me and my two friends so um and she did explain that that she wanted me to take her because I was still a teenager and I didn't really look that much at the tickets and information on the tickets and and things like that and she knew my dad would have so um I would be the last person that that saw her so what happened that day I mean so she had been home for a trip for a short period of time and then she decided to leave what did you know about where she came from and anything about where she was going? Well, she had came home from being in Mexico for about two months, approximately. And we knew at the time that she was here to get things in order uh, to go over to supposedly South Africa. And so we knew that she would be leaving, but with all the assumption that she would be coming home as well. So when I started, told my sister goodbye that morning, I had no idea that I wouldn't see her again. So at that time, was she in any particular type of mood? What was her demeanor? The same as usual? Same as usual, but she was a little, uh, she teared up. Um, You know, we were a close family. We didn't, you know, I don't know if she teared up because maybe she knew more. Of course, she knew more than I did. Maybe she knew she wouldn't be coming home as quick as what we thought she was um, supposed to. So she did tear up before she got on the plane. That was a definite. But other than that, she was in a good mood. What date was this that you last saw her? What was the last contact that you guys had with her? It was um, July 25th. A couple of years later, you guys did receive a letter from her. Do you know where it came from? What was the contents of that letter? I read some of the stuff, but I'm curious. What you guys get from that? Yeah, that was the one postmarked from Yonkers. She, I believe she said that she had gotten some friends who was leaving uh, where they were, and they were going to mail it for her in Yonkers. So that's why it had a Yonkers uh, postmark on it. And what was she talking about in this letter? She was talking about um, she would be home. She they she was doing okay. Was that the one where she was studying? 
studying um, and she finally found a purpose. What her purpose was, she was going to, she was going to um, this university and she was laying the foundation. Um, she wanted to study either science or um, chemical imbalances. The one before that was about, she would be coming home. She was going to make sure mom and dad had a, she was going to build them a comfortable home. What has it been like for you and your family? I mean, it's been 45 years of you guys plus, right? Of you guys not knowing where she is. What has that been like for you? Honestly, it, it, in the beginning, it was horrible. I saw my mom and dad cry almost every single day, of course. And I saw my dad sit at the kitchen table writing letters to everybody that he thought to possibly write letters to, to to policemen, to senators, to everybody that's in that album. And, and he did that on a consistent basis. And, and my mom would sit and cry almost every day. And almost every day uh, he would start getting these responses back in. Of course, all of them were, you know, we've looked and we do not have any records of her being in the state. He sent uh, to visas, to, to passports, to police departments, to children of God, to... I mean, as you can tell from the information that we've sent you, he, he, you could tell he was desperate to find her. He was so desperate to find her. And, and I think you can see that in the letters he wrote to his mother, which would have been my grandma as well. He was, he was, that's all he focused on after she left. I understand that he's what, in his 90s now, early 90s, somewhere in there. To this day, I mean, how has he been handling it? I imagine it's got to be very difficult we still live in the same house house that we grew up in so we are still we're sitting in it right now. yeah we're still sitting here in the, in the room we slept in so it is still every day mm. and she was such a good sister i mean we weren't a family that was dysfunctional we i mean we everybody has a dysfunctional family but we loved each other and um it killed us when she left. I'm sorry. But that's okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's really clear that, you know, no matter how much time goes by, you know, yeah. the, the, the pain is still there. Yeah, it is. We loved her dearly. And, you know, I am curious, too, when it comes to the idea of, of how to search and where to search. I mean, how hard was that for you guys? Because it's not like she disappeared in your town. You can go search for her in your town. Yeah. So that had to be pretty difficult, too. It was very difficult. And like I said, my dad reached out to everyone he knew because that was before any media. And he just wrote letters and he just wrote letters and wrote letters. And and we contacted also, you know, contacted Dr. Phil and the locator and I don't know how many other shows back in the day intermittently and just sent information asking if they would be interested. So, you know, unfortunately, I didn't get a response or I got a response that was like, no, we don't have enough to go on. And then you let it go for a few years and then something comes up and it triggers it again and you want to start again. And that's when the locator happened. It, you know, I saw him on TV. We had that series. It's like, okay, maybe he can find her. Um, and then someone suggested a Facebook page, which is where Pam came into to it. And bless her heart, she created that. And it's been rolling on ever since that with the help of Christy. And, 
and Sarah and Tracy and everybody. It's um, it's amazing. It's like it's like it's been divine. It's like everything happens for a reason. And maybe this is the time before anything happens to my dad that he can get some closure. What about yes. her friends, her circle of people? She was 20 years old. So, I mean, she had to have some sort of friend, boyfriend. Like, what, what was going on there? And what, what did those people say? Yeah, they had a group of friends. She was very athletic in school. She was the president of the GAA. Um, she played basketball. She played tennis. She played volleyball. Uh, and of course, with that, you have that circle of friends as well. She had a lot of friends, a lot of friends. And as far as her dating, I just remember one guy that came here. But again, I was, I just remember her going out. And it's like, that. that's odd. Elizabeth's going out on a date. <laughs> so that was, I don't, I didn't remember his name or anything. And what about her car? I was reading stuff about her car. Did she give it to someone? Who ended up with the car? Where's the car? It's from, uh, it's our understanding, we don't have any proof of this, but um, we do through my Aunt Gladys, her daughter Kathy, uh, which is a cousin of mine, she does remember Elizabeth bringing her car up and asked, she asked my Aunt Gladys if she could put the car in the backyard and that someone would be coming to pick it up within the next few days. With and But she didn't tell us anything about that. We didn't find that out until years later someone actually did come and pick the car up then yeah i remember gladys or um she said this was before she passed away she finally said something about it and she said uh she got up one morning the next morning could have been two days later but the car was just gone checked with the dmv as well we had the vin number and everything because the car was in his name so we're not quite sure how someone else bought it without his signature or how she even got it back here. And that, that's the curious question too because yeah. as I was going through the papers and stuff last night, she was sending money. Where was it coming from? One letter where she's talking, she was getting some money from teaching English to kids in un universities in Mexico. That's the only mention of anything. I'm, I mean, I know that she got any money from so that's a, it's a good question. Something that needs a little bit more. Yeah examination. At what point did you guys realize that something was wrong, that you had completely lost contact with her? Elizabeth went to Mexico in September of 1971, and she met some people who introduced her to a larger group in Mexico, and they seemed to be stationed around Monterrey, Nuevo Leon, Mexico, and that was where she said she was working for about two months, basically, teaching English to college students. Yeah. And within two months, she decided that she was going to travel with this group, but she sent a letter back to her family saying that she was going to cut contact and become a missionary in South Africa. And that was when her father started contacting everybody that he could think of, because that's, that's a major red flag that somebody is abusive or that a group is a cult when they tell you to cut contact with your family. And so that aroused a lot of suspicion. There was another letter that came after that. It, she was back in the state and still trying to go overseas. And that was postmarked in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And she said she was getting ready to leave the country. And about that time, 
the FBI, you know, had been looking for Elizabeth and she had called back home after that letter that she was cutting contact mm-hmm. and changed her mind about it. So the group that she was with hit the roof when they found out that the FBI was looking for her. So the impression is there that this group was coercing her to cut contact with her family. And no one ever knew the name of this particular group. No. No. Wow. She, she, she kept that secret. Wow. Uh, when I was talking to Tracy, she had mentioned that there was a young man from the same town that you guys are from who had also gone missing and the family went to go rescue him or something like that. Did you guys, who can speak to that? I believe he was around the same age as Elizabeth within a couple years. Um, but we do know for a fact that he did leave um, around the same time as her. I think maybe within a couple of years later, and he did go um, over to the Mexico area and he was involved in a cult. We do not know the name of that cult. We have not been able to find it out. We've talked to a few of his family members that have given us a little bit of information. They have said that he was gone for quite some time mm-hmm. and that when he did return home, his parents had relocated to Florida. Um, so he got, back in touch with his brother and his brother had to help him kind of transition back from being in a cult, being away for so long and um, getting back used to being here in a a normal environment, I guess you could say. And he had some problems um, going to the DMV, trying to straighten out um, things with his social security number and all of that. So we do know that that took place and that is from the same town that elizabeth lived in salem virginia um that's that's where he lived at and i believe that he's he lives in the area now um but we have tried to you know get into contact with him to get additional information but we just we just know that he was involved in a cult and left around the same time that she did and he was in mexico as well we do not know if they were together or if they were in the same group. We believe he left around 73. So, yes, he was missing and gone around this, you know, after, from 73 on. I believe he was gone for about 20 years and then he came home. Wow, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, he, mm-hmm, and his parents had already moved and I don't think he was aware. They moved to Florida. And he was, what, 18, 19 at the time? 18. 18. Okay. So you guys are trying to basically trying to track this guy down at this point. That's your, one of your latest leads as far as trying to get information. Yes. Now here's a question and and tell me who can speak to this, but the idea of a Jonestown connection or anything like that, is that something that you guys believe is a possibility given the, given the time frame, given where she was, you know, and the situation and that she's never, you know, re-emerged anywhere. I've kind of, looked into that and um, gotten a list of names and there are some unidentified people, but their pictures are up on the website um, also. So I've looked through all of that and been through all the documentations I can find. And I've, I really don't think she was in with, with that group, but I could be wrong because they posted all the names that went with him and Guiana. Okay, and as far as like DNA and things like that, there there could be some testing with the remains that are left at this point, right? Yes. Are you guys going to check into that just just to make sure? Yes. Yes. 
Okay, where are you guys in that process, or have you started yet? I sent the ancestry off last week, and I believe my dad did as well. We do have a couple family members that are in one of the ancestry sites um, where you can match, you know, family members. Um, we have taken additional samples from family members for that. But the agent that we have involved in the case, Agent Scott with the state, uh, with the Virginia State Police, he is going to be, um, as part of his investigation, he will be getting samples from her father and from Martha, her sister, to actually have tested through the crime lab so that we can test the CODIS database. Um, which, you know, has a lot more information and a lot more there to verify it against. Here lately, we've kind of been on looking at a lot of the children of God because it seemed to be in the same kind of area that she was in. And they had lots of different places worldwide um, where they had these communes set up. And so some of it seemed to be fitting her situation, but we we're still don't know. We're, that's something that we're kind of looking into. We've been watching a lot of documentaries about it and reading up a lot about it. Um, but that's one of the areas that we've kind of been checking into lately, um, because that seemed to be a, a, a group in which people are still in it right now. It's, it's just a different name, um, but it seemed to be something where um, when we were watching one of the documentaries, um, one of the 20 year old boys was talking to his mother in Mexico City and, and their, his family still in the group. So, I mean, that's something that's come to our attention now. We didn't realize like how prevalent it still is this day and time for some of these cults. Yeah, that's kind of wild to even think. It seemed like that was something that was happening in the 70s and it just kind of in the early 80s and it kind of went away. But it right. seems to be, in, but they still exist to this day. That's that's pretty wild to think about. Exactly. And her father, um, Michael Randy, he obviously thought the children of God too because he sent two different letters to them. One in Texas and one in California. What's interesting to me is that she communicated with the family it seems like pretty regularly. So, so for her to completely shut off all communication for this period of time, I mean, do you guys feel that that she is alive somewhere, or do you feel that someone has really that she's gone? I kind of feel like she's gone, but then there's always that hope, you know, that she isn't. And I think this is kind of like our last ditch effort mm -hmm. because, and I think that's why everything's just fallen into place here. I would give my life to know that she's here and she's with us, but I cannot imagine her not having any contact with her family. I mean, I can understand getting into a group when you're young and, and you get brainwashed and, and she was, she was a type, she wanted to have a purpose and she wanted to save the world and that's what she was doing, but to not ever contact us and, at one point, I wrote to Salvation Army a couple of times and with, under their advisement was to write a letter and they weren't in the, the um, area of finding missing people, but they would forward this letter to her, um, but they wouldn't let me know anything. They said the way I would know is if I got this letter back that it, would, it meant that it, it didn't have anywhere to go. I never got, I did that two times within a, a period of a few years each. I never got either one of those letters back. And the purpose of one of those letters was to let my sister know that my mom had was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. 
So to give her kind of a heads up, look, if you ever came home, it's time for you to come home now. And, um, you know, it was a very passionate letter. And, uh, you know, please come home, be with us. And I never got that letter back either. The letters that she sent from Mexico, where she was sending from, was there a return address on those envelopes? Because I don't think I saw one. Yeah, there's no return address. Honestly, I mean, when you read some read the letters, you're not really sure what is the truth and what's not sometimes because, I mean, she would contradict herself in a lot of different things. So not really sure if that's even the truth or not, you know? I mean, honestly, one of the last letters was talking about how I think she wrote it, making it sound like she wanted us to know, to feel better about her situation, you know, because I honestly don't think she was studying chemistry or whatever she was saying she was doing. If she was in the middle of the bush somewhere, like one of the other letters said. So she contradicted herself, herself a lot in a lot of these things. So we're not really sure what all what part of, of what she was saying was the truth and what part wasn't. So that's what's so hard when you're trying to read through some of these things. You're not really sure what you're getting sometimes. Mm-hmm. Were there ever any leads from anyone? Was there ever anything for you guys to even grasp onto as far as what may have happened? Never. Never anything. There was uh, never any proof that she got her passport, that she went to South Africa. There were no records from the embassies that she arrived there. And so, you know, it, it did take her about a month to get what she said she needed to be able to go originally. And that was in the letter from New Orleans. And... Basically, you know, she said she had about 23 months of continuous warm weather between being in Mexico, visiting in the summer in Virginia, and then going to what she always told her family and friends that she was going back to South Africa to oppose apartheid. We never found out any proof that she made it. She never had a passport that ever said any indication that she ever went to Africa or anything like that. We did contact a friend of hers named Karen Robertson who um, said that she had hung out with her the night before she left and um, that Elizabeth had talked to her a lot about South Africa. And Karen was just adamant that that's where she thought she was, Um, that she just spoke in detail, that she never contradicted herself. So she really thought that's where she was. But again, we've never found any proof uh, of anything and like Tracy said it, it's all kind of contradictory why did it take so long for police to or for you guys to be able to actually file a police report on her what why was there never a report filed or what, what was so difficult about that process well that's so strange because um you know and dad did do the uh, passport letter as well and they just came back and said if she did have one it was an illegal passport because it wasn't in her name so with the visa too but it i mean we contacted the salem police department and i couldn't tell you when it's you know after 45 years it's like in and out in and out but you know the police officer he came here and kind of listened and wrote some stuff down so honestly i thought that he went back and filed a case you know I thought we had a case number and then with the um my brother got in contact with the local um, police department or uh, 
FBI or the Please. Department of Justice or whatever it was. And and he gave them le some of the letters and so forth. So we thought that was a case number, you know, was was created there. So and then the fact that we didn't have a case number, that was just crazy. It was like, how in the world could we be in contact with all these people and there's no case number set up anywhere? So that's when Christy... Um, we called the local FBI, and she couldn't find anything listed about Lisbeth. I believe she said she had 70-some missing peoples, and she wouldn't be one of them, but since she was missing for so long, to contact the FBI in um, Richmond. Well, what did she leave behind? Did she leave any clothing behind? Did she leave any possessions behind? Um, anything that you guys have of her today? I have her class ring. Um, and I still have that. And then she had like a little tin box that had like uh, Buffalo nickels and things like that in it. Kept everything locked, even her luggage that she, I do remember that her luggage, every time she got into it, she unlocked it. And my mom would tell me that she was very, very secretive about things like, like what Christy was just saying about how her suitcase was locked. Even before she left, my mom said that she didn't like to like for people to know where she was going. Like she would circle a different, go a different way around the block so that people wouldn't know how she was driving. I mean, it, was, it sounded odd, um, but just very secretive, just in general, even before any of this ever came up, which is kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Very private. Wow. Yeah, that, that is very interesting. She had that kind of, of mind. So as I was going through and like doing research and all of that and reading letter after letter, um, I read some information that she had checked out some library books. Do you guys know what those books were? What were they about or anything like that? Was she, what was she researching or what was she looking into? Her father said that Elizabeth had checked out some library books on Mexico. And he thought that was odd because Elizabeth said she was going to South Africa. She, in a couple of those letters, if, if, if you've noted or if I'm sure everybody else has, she did reiterate a couple times, like, if anything ever happened to her, we would be notified. And she sounded, and she said it again and again. So, you know, that kind of put us at ease a little bit, too. Yeah, like, she's going somewhere, and she could be in danger, possibly, hopefully not. But if anything did happen to her, mom and dad would know about it. What were her dreams and what were her plans as she was going into adulthood? What, what did she say she wanted to do? Or was she just clueless and trying to figure life out? She had her sight set on going to Emory and Henry. And um, we just, as you know, mom and dad just couldn't financially do that. And there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of scholarship. She, she was a bright person, very intelligent. She was listening America's Who's Who and um, what's the name of that book? Mer oh, Outstanding yeah. Students. And um, anyway, she's listening that. But I think that kind of really hit her hard when she couldn't go to college because she was very intelligent. And then she did go to community college here locally for a while. And then she went, she had a summer job. And that summer job was solely for the purpose to get money gathered up so she could go to Mexico. That, to me, everybody says that she's, you know, telling some lies, not lies, but being deceitful. Um, she may have been the last year she was here, and we all kind of think that maybe she 
started planning this trip to Mexico. Maybe there was a connection between a church that she preached at locally. Um, maybe she met up with someone there and they got into the small group because it's almost like she planned this trip to Mexico in details. So, and yeah, after that, she was very secretive. And, and during that last year she was with us, she was very secretive, but she, um, other than that, she was, she wasn't like that all of her life. She wasn't. As far as this particular church that she was preaching at, did you guys, so did you guys ever find out what, where it was and, and who was involved with it and what happened with that? We're, we're just now starting on that. I went yesterday over to a church, I believe it was, because I saw it one time 40-some years ago. Um, so I'm going to research that. I took a picture of it, and I'm going to call and see if we can get some documentation on that, possibly. She was searching. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She was searching. And I think that's why the cult thing looks to be yes. something for us, because she would be the, the typical person to go after if you were a, a cult, because she was searching for, for meaning in her life. She couldn't go to college. Her older two brothers had joined the military, so they were doing their thing. And there she was in Salem, Virginia, trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do with my life? And um, another thing is that she was really close to... Um, my other grandpa, Preston, and he actually died of a massive heart attack right as they both as they graduated from high school. And she was pretty close to him, too. So she had a lot of stuff going on within that last year of her life. Like he passed away. My mom, her best friend, got married to her brother and they moved to D.C. So she kind of not lost her best friend, but her best friend wasn't in town. So she was in D.C. like five hours away. So she was dealing with a lot of different issues uh, right around the same time as she graduated from high school. And I think it kind of maybe sent her into this little bit of like, wow, what am I supposed to do with myself right now kind of thing. And, and some, someone was able to prey upon that and draw her into, you know, whatever it is they had going on. I mean, that's kind of what yeah, I'm exactly. thinking. I don't know if that's what happened, but I think that makes a lot of sense. How have you guys been searching? How have you guys been been researching and trying to find out the details about her, where she may have gone, her life. What have you guys been able to do at this point? I know you've kind of compiled a whole, I guess, dictionary of uh, the, of Elizabeth, right? Of the Bible of Elizabeth, her whole entire existence, yeah. Um, yeah. so to speak. So um, who, who can speak to, I guess, the, the, the Gavin process and how you guys are trying to search? What, what are you doing at this point? Aside from my podcast. <laughs> what I found most surprising in this process is how difficult it was to get a case opened because Elizabeth was from Salem. She was last seen in Roanoke. The last two letters were from Yonkers, New York, and she was purportedly out of the country. And so nobody would claim jurisdiction when it came to opening a case. Uh, Salem said to call Roanoke, Roanoke said to call Salem, you know, the, the state police said they didn't have jurisdiction, and the FBI uh, wouldn't respond. And so while there were a lot of missing persons cases and a lot of investigations over the years, we just now got a case number uh, because Christy tried again and, and got somebody who finally opened a case for Elizabeth. And so um, that allows us to 
compare DNA from the family to the CODIS database, which is the FBI database for missing persons. And that will let us know if there's anything, you know, like any match from Jonestown or any Jane Doe that's been found and not identified. And so that's a huge step that we've been waiting for. And then beyond that, it's just getting all of the information that we can out there to see if anybody met her when she was traveling to California or New Orleans or, you know, Mexico. She was seemed to be stationed around Monterey. If anybody recognizes maybe the, the kind of paper that she was using or the postmark from Yonkers. Other people cut contact with their families around the same time in the group that she was with. So, you know, if we can connect to another family that maybe got more information than we did, that would help a lot. So that's our goal in getting all this information. Now. Elizabeth left Salem, Virginia in August of 1971. And she reached Mexico in early October, right about October 1st of 1971, and she very quickly met two people who introduced her to a larger group of people. They were from the United States, Mexico, and Canada, and she describes this group as a, a youth group, and then she says a youth movement. And this was the group that she decided to join after not even two months. At the age of 19, after not even being with this group for two months, she decided to join them and go to South Africa uh, to work as a missionary. She came back in July of 1972 to visit her family for about two weeks. And her father felt that this was to reassure the family um, after she found out that the FBI were looking for her, and the group that she was with hit the roof after they heard that, and so they were definitely alarmed about, you know, the FBI looking for Elizabeth's whereabouts, and she was there for two weeks, and then she was planning on coming back the following year, uh, but she sent a letter in 1973. The letter was written in February 1973 and postmarked in April of 1973. So we believe she might have been out of the country and sent the letter to somebody to redirect from Yonkers, New York. And the last letter came, it was probably written around February of 1974, and it was also postmarked April 20th, 1974 in Yonkers, New York. And both of those letters, the envelopes were written by somebody else. And so we're also looking at having the DNA tested on the stamp and the envelope to find out who may have sealed that letter or put the stamp on. And that was the last letter. And in the last two letters, Elizabeth said in, in the next to last letter, you know, that she was very happy, you know, in, in all of her letters, she said she was very happy. She was doing what she loved and that she had planned to visit. And then in the last letter, she apologized for not coming out to visit. And then she still said she wanted to come out to visit. She wanted to help her family, that she owed them and she loved them. And, you know, she didn't know when she would come back out, so she wasn't going to give a time. But in that last letter, she obviously wasn't expecting it to be her last letter. What do you guys want people to do to help you guys with this search? What would you like to see happen? I would love to see my sister walk through the front door. Um, but any connection, anyone, because there's got to be 
some she went with a small group of people who had the same desire she said that they were nurses engineers they were intelligent people as well as her wanting to save the world there's someone that knows something about my sister a final goal would for my dad to have some information about my sister um that would be what i you know what we're all striving for my nieces and nephews if if nothing else they've grown closer they elizabeth wasn't anyone they knew so now they know her as part of our family it's um that's my that's what i want to see come out through this we've been searching for so long so long if you're able to get a message to her if by chance she happens to see this or what would you what would you say to her if she could hear this, if she could see this, or, you know, if that was possible. I would um, tell her or ask her to please come home. I've missed her for so long, and I love her so much. And we've missed a whole lifetime of memories, and at least we could maybe get some more memories before while we can. What about people who may be withholding information? Because if they're involved in a cult, right, they're going to hold on to that. But um, any thoughts for people who who have information who might be holding on to it? I, I honestly, I just without any filter, I want to say shame on you. It's not your decision to make. It's something that um, I think every family is different, and I think this family deserves to know what happened to her. What was the last activity on her social security card, on her bank account, things like that? What was the last anything of her? I know my dad, I know he wrote to social security, and I don't know if they gave the last date of anything. They just said there hadn't been any activity. I'll go back and I'd have to look at that response from them. Um, I'm not aware as far as the bank that back in that time I was 16 so my dad might know that and we can certainly ask him but as far as the bank activity I really don't know when she went to Mexico I think she closed out um, she was saving of course so I think she closed out her saving account to go to Mexico I'd be very curious to see has a social security number been ever been used over the course of years you know what I mean? Like if someone got a hold to it at some point in time or whatever, you know what I mean? You just never know. Um, they would never give us any information. And because we didn't have an open case number. Yeah. So, so she's still alive. I mean, you know, according to based on the records and things like that. So is there anything else that you guys think that we didn't cover or that we didn't discuss about this case or that you want people to know? She was my sister and we slept in bunk beds and we shared life together and she she was she was such a good person we i mean there's nothing wrong with her it's like my dad writing that one letter to grandma it's like she was so easy you didn't have to tell her to do anything she was honestly like a perfect child and she had a fantastic heart and she her only problem was that I think she was too smart for her own good. I don't know. Or she was searching for something we couldn't give her in Salem, Virginia. So what do you guys think about, you know, the, the social media activity and things like that at this point, you know, with the case and just people kind of digging into their own theories and things like that? This is what's so amazing about having Facebook and Twitter and all these other things right now 
we're able to get the story out to other people and have other people give their input. And I mean, there's groups out here that have been contacting us like web sleuths and all these other um, websites and organizations and, and people who like to dig into these things and investigate things. I've never even heard of before. So it's been pretty amazing seeing people we have never met, had any contact with show so much interest and desire to help us find an answer. And that to me has been amazing. If there are other families out there, like if she was involved in the children of God or one of those cults, if there are other families out there who had, a, you know, a child go missing during that time or has been missing for years and years, if they were to see this story and say, hey, you know, this happened to me, maybe, you know, that connecting our family to another family can help to provide clues and possibly lead us somewhere yeah. in the investigation, maybe to, to finding out what happened, you know, where they are, if they're still out there. If she's no longer with us, she may have some children who that we would love to put our arms around and get to know them. When it comes to my final thoughts about this case, the first thing that comes to mind is, what's the name of the group that Elizabeth left with, and where did she really go? We know that she spent some time in Mexico, but was her idea of going to South Africa a reality? The family did say they discovered that she had an illegal passport, but did she really get to use it? Another thought is, was she one of the hundreds of people who died in Jonestown? The family is checking. They put their DNA into CODIS, NamUs, and other databases, and they're hoping to get some results in the next month. I'll keep an eye on that. The family is also digging into the possibility that she may have joined the Children of God cult. And who is the mystery person who picked up Elizabeth's car from her aunt's house two days after she left town? Something to think about. Another interesting detail is the family is planning to have the two final letters they got from Elizabeth tested for DNA to find out exactly who sent them. And lastly, did she ever have children? Hmm. There's so much to absorb and to think about with this case, and hopefully the family will get some degree of closure, especially for Elizabeth's father who's 94 years old. Elizabeth would be 67 years old today. She has a large freckle on her nose and a bent pinky finger on her right hand. She was 5 foot 4 and 115 pounds at the time of her disappearance. If you have any information in this case, call Virginia State Police at 540-375-9568. If there's a case that you want me to check out, just visit me on my Facebook page or via email at intriguedfulleffect at hotmail.com. Until next time, be safe and stay true. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Intrigued Full Effect, Curious Cases, Disappearances, and Other Stuff podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the host. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. The host of this podcast assumes no liability or responsibility for any activities in connection with opinions shared in the podcast. The podcast and blog associated with it shall not be used in any legal capacity or as a basis for expert testimony. Any copyright material in the podcast is approved by the owner or as part of the public domain. Music by Pond5.